0: Praise God for all of you. This morning, we continue with uh, our Sunday service, preaching the word of God with power and without apology, for God's word will stand forever. Amen? Now, your leadership is not going to be here for much longer. Our hairs are getting whiter. Our bones are beginning to crackle. And it is part and parcel of the vision of CCF That we would pass on the baton to faithful men who will in turn teach and disciple faithful men. Our message this morning will be brought to us, of course, from God. But through someone whom I have known for more than a decade. He has been a faithful member of CCF Music Ministry in Manila. And if I may say, he desires excellence in his craft. He's a student of God's word. Pastor Frank knows him well. It is my honor and privilege to introduce to you our brother, Adrian Ariosa.
1: Woo! Yeah! <laughs> Ow! All right, settle down now, everyone. It's just me. Good morning. Uh, yes, the message will be delivered by a faithful man powerfully today. <laughs> yes, by, by the way, Pastor Insong, uh basically grew up with him. He was my discipler in my teens all the way till I moved here. So if I say something wrong, it's his fault. <laughs> all right. So um, let's begin with a word of prayer first, and then we will get to work. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for my church family here. Thank you for allowing us to be here today to just uh, be with you, be with each other, and to study your word. Father, I pray that you speak to all of us, Lord, um, myself included, Lord. Um, Whatever I'm going to speak about today, Lord, I need to hear for myself. Um, So, Lord, allow us to get to know you with the short time that we have today. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, everyone, how are you? Horrible? Missing one hour of sleep? Yes. yes, me too. I missed that hour. I feel terrible, actually. A little bit depressed. <laughs> um, if I say stuff here, just don't mind me. I just lack sleep. So, all right. Our message today is going to be on Luke 15. And it's called... it's. Pastor in song entitled it. He entitled it, not me. Ready, set, not yet. Right? So this message basically is a response to or a continuation of this of several themes that we've discussed uh, over the past few weeks. Um, you know, we talked about um, God's grace, how it's sovereign, how it's greater than anything we've ever uh, dreamed of. We talked about... Um, Obedience to God's word. We talked about uh, perseverance. We talked about being Christ like. And more specifically, I think three weeks ago we talked about, um, uh, was it finishing well? Was that your message? A fantastic finish. And, uh, you know, living for uh, God's kingdom, the impending kingdom, rather. So all those messages. Really begin to raise up a, a big question, a big a sort of tension, right? Um, you know, if we are to obey, if it's God's grace and all that stuff, what does that look like in real life, right? So these are all heady themes, and then we just, you know, are, you know, we just say up here that, you know, you just have to do it and it'll happen and all that stuff. But, you know, really, what does it look like? If you sit down and think about it, how should these big themes? begin to play out in our lives so today that's the goal is to just look at Luke 15 specifically the story of the prodigal son and see what we can learn about living in the already but not yet so let me just explain the title a little bit Um, have you guys heard those of you like reading theology books have you heard of the already but not yet kingdom anybody sounds like a cheesy line right (laughs) So basically, what that says is God's kingdom is already, but not yet. Right? Where God's kingdom is now, He's here with us, but it has not come to completion yet. So basically, the idea of this message is what do we do while we're waiting, right? If if God's kingdom is already, but not yet. All right? So let's just look at. The context of Luke 15. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to read. But I encourage you. Please read it on your own time later. It's always nice to read scripture in its context. Right. You might miss some things and all that stuff. But everything becomes much more. I, I would like to say legible when you read it in context. So. Okay. Who was Jesus audience? Basically Luke 15 is Jesus telling three parables. And to better understand it, we just have to keep in mind who the people there were, right? So there were two groups of people there with Jesus. Basically, it was a bunch of sinners, quote-unquote sinners, and then Pharisees, right? That was his audience. So keep that in mind, because we will come back to that context, right? All right. So let's get started. Um, what is the biggest roadblock to us living out Christian life, Pastor Dan? It's your turn. It's your turn to be asked today. <laughs> they like this. <laughs> Pastor Dan, what is the biggest roadblock to living out Christian life? It's up there. It's up there. It's Mang George here. This is for you, Mang George.
0: <laughs> <Woo! laughs>
1: Thank you, Pastor Frank. <laughs> Sin—it is sin. Pastor Danny, half point for you for pointing, and then a half point for it. the winner will get free coffee <laughs> from downstairs. <laughs> All right, it is sin, right? So, before we uh, at the beginning of Luke 15, if you read verses 1 to 16. well actually the whole chapter is about sin but Jesus begins to discuss sin and how complex it is, right? I think in church today or church in general the biggest problem we have is or one of the bigger problems we have is when we misunderstand sin, right? What is sin anyway? So normally we think it's just behavior, right? I see Dion, Dion, you're such a sinner. I, it's because of his hair, whatever, something like that. Right? But really, it's more than that. It's not just his shirt or his hair or his shoes, but there's something wrong with his heart and all of our hearts. And Jesus, he begins to discuss this in Luke 15. Um, here are a few verses, actually, before we go into Luke 15. Sorry, don't know my own notes. Um, Here's Jeremiah talking about it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right? Um, sin, more than behavioral problem, more than a behavioral problem, is a heart problem. Right? Because from the heart, that's where all our behaviors come from. Right? Um, so. There you go. Now the temptation is to say that, hey, Adrian, this is cool and all, but this is Old Testament stuff, right? Now that Jesus is here, we don't have that problem anymore. Our hearts are fixed, like Timmy's heart, right? <laughs> I like how Brian just laughed over there. <laughs> the answer is no, right? If we look at Romans seven fifteen. Who is this speaking here? This is the super saint, Apostle Paul. Anybody here went to Saint Paul's school? Okay. He's not that great of a guy, as you will now see. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, ladies. But uh, do you guys go to that? It's all girls, right? So if you're a guy and you raised your hand, then... Oh, so here in Romans seven, this is actually one of my favorite verses because it, it comforts me when I, whenever I read this. This is, this is the Apostle Paul talking about sin in his own personal life, right? So who is Paul? He basically wrote how much of the New Testament? A lot of the New Testament, probably over half of it, right? He's probably compared to all of us, he's way better. This is what he says about his sin, his sin in his own life. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing, there should be a thing there, the very thing that I hate. Right? So this is the Apostle Paul, arguably, when was this, towards the end of his life, not really, later on, this, right? He actually saw Jesus, he performed miracles, and all that stuff, wrote more than half of the New Testament, and this is what he says. Right? I don't do what I want to do, I do... The very things i hate so sin is much more complex and formidable than we uh, understand all right so jesus in please review this when you get home with your d groups or and whatnot so in verses 1 to 16 jesus talks about the parable of the lost sheep talks the parable of the lost coin and towards the end of the chapter talks about the parable of the lost son And this is how he describes sin, basically, with these parables. With the lost sheep, he's telling us that we are sinners because of our nature, right? We can't help it. We will sin, right? We inherited a sin nature from Adam and Eve, and it's all terrible. We are predisposed to sin. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. Also, when he tells the parable of the lost coin, he begins to say that we are sinners due to circumstance. Because we live in a fallen world with other sinful people, we will inevitably sin, right? Because I hang out with Dion and play video games with him, I sin. (laughs) That's true. Dion has heard me uh, say some, utter some pretty bad words when when we're playing video games. Um, Lastly, Jesus says, when he talks about the parable of the lost son that we are sinners by choice we also choose to sin so sin is all of these things that's why paul was having such a hard time with even though he's been in ministry forever he was a pharisee of pharisees um, and all that stuff he had a hard time and i'm sure all of us feel the same way right many times you know uh, in my experience sometimes You know, after being in Bible study, when somebody cuts me off on the freeway, I say some words that cannot be repeated here, right? And I feel bad because I was just hanging out with my friends. I just talked about how good God is, and all it takes is one uh, lousy driver (laughs) to set me off. So we have to first understand that sin is complex. And the more we realize that sin is complex... I think the better time we will have fighting against it, right? Because if you treat it as if it's nothing, oh, sin, it, you know, it's just behavior, just, you know, behave yourself better or, you know, try harder not to sin, it won't work because sin is complex, right? So having understood that, right, Jesus basically lays this out in Luke 15. He begins to talk about being lost he begins to talk about two ways to live right two ways to live and how does he he talk about it well he tells the story of a family now i made these verses the fonts extra small so you guys have a hard time reading it (laughs) i'm sorry for that um if you have your bibles right please turn with me to luke chapter 15 I'm going to read this for you. These are selected verses. For the purposes of time, I edited out some of the story, but I think this will capture everything. So I will read slowly with you, and please turn to your Bibles with me. I'll jump around from verse to verse, but you should be able to follow. Are you guys there? Great. All right, let's get going. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country where he squandered his property with, in reckless living. He said to himself, so after be, living recklessly, he begins to see the error of his ways and he was really broke. Now the father's older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed a fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Okay. So... In this story, right, when we begin to see, who are the three characters in the story? Sean, who are the three characters in the story? Uh, I don't care. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Sean, ask Demi who the three characters of the story are. Thank you, thank you. If it weren't daylight saving time, you're here early. (laughs) <laughs> You're not late. <laughs> so there are three characters in this story. Normally, we only focus on who? The, Pastor Dan? The younger... <laughs> the sinner. The younger brother. Right? But there, you know, I think we lose the richness of Jesus' parable when we don't look at all three characters. So there's the father, and he has two sons. Right. So what is Jesus trying to tell us with the two sons? Basically, he's showing us two ways of being lost. Two ways you can be a sinner and be alienated from God, who is the father in the story. Right. So there are two kinds of lostness. The younger brother lostness and the elder brother lostness. Let's talk about younger brother lostness first. How do you see this play out? Right? When you, when we, see, when we experience younger brother lostness, that is when we say to ourselves in our hearts that I want the things of God, but I don't want the responsibilities of a relationship with God. Basically, that's what the younger brother represented, right? The younger brother this is pretty bad what he said to his father so they were probably a pretty wealthy family and back in the day your wealth was tied to what? you didn't have a bank account you didn't have gold treasure chest your wealth was tied to the land right the more land you had the more livestock you had crops whatever um, the more rich you were right basically when the younger brother asked for his share of the inheritance what did he do? He asked the father to tear apart the family, right? He was asking the father to sell part of the property and all that. And why? Because their identity, their family's identity, was tied to the land. So your family was somebody when you owned something. So the younger brother was basically telling them to destroy their lives for his pleasure. Another thing he did there when he asked for his inheritance, while the was still alive was he basically wished his father dead right Um, in their culture at the time you only got your inheritance when your father died nobody asked for you know for his inheritance in advance that is an insult right so what the younger brother then represented was you know Outside the context of church, the younger brother represents people who want the good things of life apart from God, right? They want the fullness of life without Jesus. Outside of church, that's what the younger brother is. Now, the problem is, inside the church, we are also prone to having a younger brother mentality sometimes. That is when we begin to say that, hey, I'm going to do this and God will forgive me anyway. Right? It doesn't matter, you know, it's like when Dion tells me, Adrian, it doesn't matter what you do, God will forgive you later. No, he doesn't tell me this, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we whisper that to ourselves. It's not loud, but it's enough to get you to sin, right? You, you tell yourself, well, you know, God's going to forgive me anyway, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it, right? whatever it is that you're going to do. That is what younger brother lostness represents. Right? When we want good things, the good things of life apart from God. Now this is, you know, this is much more easy to identify, right? When I see, you know, when I see Nate, drunk, passed out on the church steps, I can then say, Nate is experiencing a bout of younger brother lostness at the moment because he wanted to, to, to have a good time. Nate doesn't drink, by the way, that well, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, right. yes, um, the, the, the point is, it's easier to spot it because you see it in shady behavior, right? It's much easier for pastor and son to come and tell me, Adrian, why did you beat up that kid? Right, it's easy. Well, oh, just, you know, when you're behaving badly, it's obvious that you have younger brother lostness going on. Now the more dangerous one, the tricky one, right, to spot is elder brother lostness. Elder brother lostness. Right. So remember, Jesus was talking to a bunch of people here. Two groups of people. Were the first group who was the Pharisees. Pharisees. Second group were the sinners. Right. In the story. Actually, if you finish the parable, you see that the older brother, one, didn't want to come in to the party. He hated the fact that there was a party. And two, in the end, he was lost. The younger brother gets saved, but his relationship is restored with the father. But then the older brother, you know, he stays outside. That's how Jesus ends the story. So what... So who does the, younger, uh, the older brother, the elder brother represent? He represents the Pharisees, right? And so what is this kind of lostness that Jesus is describing here? Well, this is being lost while being religious. This is being lost while being religious, right? So this is the, basically the motive of the, the older brother, the elder brother. I will do good so that God will have no other choice but to bless me I will do good so that God has no other choice but to bless me right so what's the problem there some you know you might hear this preached in other churches right? if you have faith you know, God will have no choice but to bless you you will claim it right? what's wrong with this Basically, the problem with the elder brother is that he also, like the younger brother, he loved the father's things, but not the father himself. That's why he was angry when the feast was thrown. Like, what? What? Why? This son of yours is terrible. He began to see, he was angry because, remember, the younger brother already took his share of the wealth away with him and wasted it, right? So whose wealth, whose wealth was the, uh, wh- whose wealth were, uh, was they, or were they using up in order to throw the party? It was the elder brother's wealth. He was so angry because you know, he was complaining that, you know, <laughs> um, in that time they barely ate meat. Meat was expensive. So the fattened calf, right? fattened calf was reserved for something super special and he was angry because that and calf was expensive and it was charged to his account so what did that reveal it revealed that the elder brother in spite of the fact that he did good things in spite of the fact that he was at church in spite of the fact that he was doing ministry in spite of the fact that for all of all these things you know he never really loved the father And so the elder brother lostness is much more scary than younger brother lostness because it's so hard to spot. It is so hard to spot. You know, I could be up here preaching to you because I'm trying to manipulate God to bless me. You know, you wouldn't be able to tell, right? I could be playing guitar here, but I'd be thinking about my hair and all that stuff. I do sometimes, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's my hair. <laughs> I'm not even thinking of the next chord, it's my hair. I'm uh, all right. Sorry guys, now you know my secret when I play guitar. It's all about the hair. Uh, elder brother lostness is much more dangerous. Um, here's an excerpt from, my, the guys will tell you, My favorite pastor is Tim Keller. Here's an excerpt from his book. How many of you guys went to the Bible study last Tuesday, Tuesday night? Uh, Three of you. (laughs) Now, there was more. So I'm just going to plug the Bible study. Please come to our Bible study Tuesday nights here at church. We start at 8. Pastor In Song is graciously offered to buy pizza (laughs) after each study. So we're inviting all the young adults here, 18 and up, even... Young couples, young married couples, you're welcome. You have to be young. I'm sorry, pa- Pastor Frank, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I-, I love you, Pastor Frank. <laughs> He's just going to the restroom, don't worry. <laughs> Pastor, I, uh, before I came back to CCF, I used to serve uh, at Auntie Rosie and Pastor Frank's church. I was a youth uh, minister there, so I love these guys. Um, <laughs> I love you, Pastor Frank. <laughs> so don't hate me. So I'm going to share a story. If you're reading, for those who went to the Bible study this week, you should have downloaded the PDF already. There's only been four views to the download page, so only four of you have the PDF, I think. So please download it. Um This story is going to be in your handout. I'm going to read it to you. And basically, I think it illustrates well how elder brother lostness operates. So I'm going to read this to you because the font is so small, you probably can't read it. Okay, let's go. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. It's pretty funny already, right? A big big carrot. (laughs) Um, So he took it to his king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched, and he discerned the man's heart. So as the gardener turned to go, the king said, Wait, wait, you're clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this. And he said, my, if this this is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I have ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you, then took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, Let me explain. That gardener, was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse, right? It's kind of a funny story, but clearly illustrates how when you have elder brother lostness, you don't give things to God. You want to take things for yourself, right? So... Two kinds of lostness, right? Makes sense. Younger brother lostness, elder brother lostness. Now there's, Jesus ends the story with the elder brother just standing outside. Basically, he was lost. But the story also begins to point to another truth, right? Another much more important reality that we need to begin to understand, right? So in the first parable, there was the lost sheep. Who found the lost sheep? The shepherd, shepherd found, he went out and searched for it and he rejoiced once he found the lost sheep. Um, The lost coin. So the lost coin was found by the woman, right? So just to give you a bit of background, because it seems weird, right, the lost coin. So the coin is part of like a necklace with 10 coins. It's really valuable. It's not like a quarter, lost a quarter, oh, right? It was a valuable coin that she lost. And when she found it, she was rejoicing. She was really happy. The third parable, there was something else that was lost, and it was the younger son. Did somebody go out and search for him when he was lost? No, right? So what was Jesus trying to say here? Um, The elder brother in that culture, in terms of inheritance, he gets more. He gets the lion's share of the wealth. So when the father passes away, He'll get 60% and the younger brother will get 40%. Why? Because it was the duty of the elder brother in that culture to keep the family together. Keep the family together. So you got more because you're supposed to be strong so you can love and serve your family. Now, in the story, in the parable that Jesus gave, who did the younger brother get for an elder brother? He got a Pharisee. Right? He got a guy who stuck to the rules but never really loved God. So he never went out to find him. Right? He, the elder brother in the story only loved himself. He didn't care for the father. He didn't care for the family. He was all in it for himself. He was looking out for number one. Right? So what was Jesus trying to imply here? The elder brother should have gone out and looked for the younger brother when he was lost. Right? That was his job. And so in the story, Jesus basically begins to point to whom? To himself. Right? Jesus is the true elder brother who, when he lost his younger brother to sin, he went out and brought him back home. There's this good passage of scripture here in Philippians that really describes how Jesus did this, right? This is Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 6 to 11. It describes how Jesus was the true elder brother, or is the true elder brother, rather. Let's read it. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, and being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Remember the elder brother? He was so angry in the story because they were wasting his wealth, right, on the younger brother. To bring the younger brother back home means what? It will cost the older brother something. It will cost him something. It will cost him a fattened calf, something like that. Well, you know what Jesus did for us when we were lost? He brought us home at a great cost. It cost him his own life so that we can come home. Right, he went out, he looked for us. I kind of imagine the story something like, you know, he found the younger brother sold to slavery, whatever, and he, he took his place. And then he died, and the younger brother went home. Something like that. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He lost everything he emptied himself, he became human, he became a servant, he was a prince, he became nothing, so that in the end we can come home. So that in the end we can be invited back home where we can have a feast, where we can celebrate, where we can be free from the slavery of sin. That's what Jesus did. And so, what does this mean then? Remember at the start of our time together I mentioned what does this mean for us now when we're living out our Christian lives here right how do we persevere how do we become Christ-like well here are a few application points that we can gather from what we just studied first and foremost our spiritual disciplines now have to become focused on Christ and the gospel not merit right our spiritual disciplines begin need to begin to focus on Christ, not on merit. What am, I, what am I trying to say here? So the danger with spiritual disciplines is we begin to forget about Jesus, and we begin to think like an elder brother, right? Um, in my experience, sometimes, you know, I don't know if you've experienced this, but... Sometimes, when I don't have my morning devotional my quiet time, I feel like God will be out to get me during the day. Like, oh my gosh, I only did 15 minutes of Bible reading. I'm in trouble now, right? Have you experienced this? Like, oh my gosh, oh, I'm so vulnerable. Right? That's the part of our hearts that are broken and begin to act like elder brothers. It's as if our quiet time makes God love us more. Uh, when the truth is, he doesn't love us because of our good works. He loved us when we were lost. When we were out there not caring about him, he sent the elder brother to search for us. right? So what needs to happen? Or, or the flip side is also, we adopt a younger br- brother mindset, and we don't do our quiet time at all. It's like oh god loves me see your bible see you uh, this sunday when uh, pastor i opens you All right um, what we need to do is we discipline ourselves so that we always have our true elder brother in front of us so we always remember what he has done for us and that begins to change us like the song they sang said you know it will begin to change us from the inside out I was having a conversation with Pastor Insong yesterday about this, about spiritual growth and how it really happens. We were talking about the fact that, you know, have you guys read, uh, is that Galatians? What's the fruit of the spirit verse? Galatians 5, right? So the temptation is we begin to take that and make that a list, right? Oh, today we begin to work on gentleness. And then you try to develop gentleness. No, it's not. it doesn't work that way, right? Uh, I think it was Pastor Reggie, Who's he here? Yes, he, he talked about fruit being one thing a few weeks ago. It is one thing. You don't develop it in one facet at a time. It all develops together. And how does that happen? It happens when you begin to really engage God in a relationship. When you really spend time with Him, get to know Him more. You become transformed. And then you realize how much he loves you. See, that's why we open our... You remember um, what Jesus said at the Last Supper? Do this in memory of me. Why do you think he said that? Because we will forget him. Right? Everything that God instituted, all the spiritual disciplines, coming here to worship, gathering, your discipleship groups, fellowship, everything... All that was designed so that we remember together as a community Jesus. So we remember our true elder brother. That's why we meet every week. That's why we have Bible studies. It's not to make lists of stuff to do, it's to first focus on Christ. And then from there, all right, we begin to preach the gospel in accountability. We begin to preach the gospel in accountability. What does this mean? All our accountability must emanate from focusing on Christ first and then living out of that, right? First, we we remind each other of who we are in Christ and then we proceed to tell each other, hey, therefore, we live this way, right? For example, Dion. (laughs) sorry let's say Dion comes to me and sees that I am addicted to video games right (laughs) addicted to video games so much so that I don't go to work anymore and I don't I have a fantasy life just playing video games it's it's true (laughs) he will come to me so he can come to me uh, in two ways one he can first come to me and tell me, "Hey, man, you're getting fatter. You're you're fired, and your fiance left you because you're addic- addicted to video games. Shape up, you know. Get off the couch. Go work out something. Do it, because you're accountable to me." He could do that, and it could work for maybe two weeks. And say, "Yeah, Dion's right. I should start, you know, working out." Should put the Twinkies down and uh, just exercise. Well, after two weeks, guess what? I'm gonna be back (laughs) to where I was. It's horrible, Dion. I was running makes me tired. I don't want to do it. You know, Twinkies are much better. Um, That's what happens when we basically begin to preach the law to one another. When we take the Bible and we make a list of things to do and tell each other to do it, that's what happens we get tired, we get weary, and we go back to the way we were before. Now, the second way Dion could approach me is, hey, Adrian, you're addicted to video games, but you've forgotten that, you know, Jesus loves you. And he saved you for a life of meaning and purpose. So you don't have to live that way anymore. And then I get, oh yeah, I get reminded that Jesus has died for me, that Jesus is a true elder brother We gave up everything for me. And so I don't have to live like a poor person anymore. I can live like a child of God. And I should live like a child of God. So the motivation is different. It's not Dion telling me to shape up. But rather it's Dion reminding me of how much God has loved me. So that I then begin naturally from the inside out. Desire to live a life that's pleasing to God. It's a subtle difference. But. It's It makes all the difference, right? It's, it's powerful stuff when you begin to think about it. The centrality of the gospel in all of Christian life. Um, yeah, I think, I think I wanted to tell a story about uh, my experience with accountability groups in the past where um, I, think, I think I was in uh, Dino with it in an, in an account... Pastor Danny's uh, eldest son, Dion's older brother. <laughs> um, I think it's flipped for them. Dion's like the elder brother. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, anyway, now Dino and I, we used to go to accountab- an accountability group that focused more on our performance. And pretty soon, it burned him out and it burned me out. It was terrible. Right? Just every week he showed up, And you had to say, well, you know, doing great this week. I read this book, that book. We never talked about Jesus. And so in the end, it, you know, it got to us. But, you know, once we started to understand that, hey, it's not, the focus is not really us. It's Jesus first. It's him who we celebrate as a community. It's him, you know, we gather together so that we get to know him more. It changed everything for us. So much so that now we start a Bible study group. As uh, horrible as we are, we come here Tuesday nights to talk about Jesus. Because we need it for ourselves, first and foremost. We started Tuesday nights, no, not, not to please anyone, not to please our elders, not to do it, but we just wanted to talk about Jesus. We just wanted a place where we can constantly, as a form of discipline and discipleship, look at Jesus together. That's what began to happen. So, I think that's about it for me this Sunday. Um, So, in closing, I'm going to leave you with this quote here from my favorite pastor, Tim Keller. Actually, he's my third favorite, second favorite pastor after Pastor Danny and Pastor Insong. That's right. The tithing boxes are over there. <laughs> <laughs> but here, I'm going to leave you with this quote. And this has to do with um, pounding the gospel more in our hearts. I'm going to read it to you, and then we will close in prayer. To the degree that you see Jesus on the cross, losing absolutely everything for you, he will become a beauty to you. He will become so beautiful in your eyes that you'll be able to change these things that control you now, they'll lose their power. Do you know how to work on your heart like that? It's only by rejoicing and resting in what Jesus Christ has done for you. killer. So my prayer for us this, this week and in the coming years uh, is that we as a community in our discipleship groups we begin to focus more on Christ and discuss what that means for our daily living. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us to, to learn more about you and learn more about your heart for us, Lord. Thank you for allowing us, Lord, um, to learn about the two brothers, for giving us a diagnostic tool for our own hearts, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for making the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you for losing everything, for becoming poor for our sake so that we might come home. Lord, I pray for all of us here for the for the church. I pray, Lord, that together as a community, Lord, we begin more and more each day to focus on you and so be changed from the inside out. Thank you, Father, in Jesus name we humbly pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.
0: Are you blessed? To see yet another dimension of God's word. Did you see another dimension to that parable that Jesus Christ uh, shared with us? Uh, When Adrian and I were discussing his message. You know every time you look at the passage of scripture. You may look at the passage of scripture but. You know, there's a different insight that God brings to you. And many times when we teach that that parable, that passage of scripture, we focus on the repentance of the younger brother. Right? But more importantly, it was the father who ran and embraced and kissed the prodigal. So even in that context. The younger son was forgiven, not only because he had repented, but because God was gracious to him, that he took the first step. It was he who ran, it was he who embraced, it was the father who kissed the prodigal. So the question is out there, and we can fall on either one. I can be either the younger brother who repents, And appreciates the grace of God. Or I can be like the elder brother who stands there in judgment. Who stands there as, you know, a more spiritually mature individual. But taking the form of one who is more condescending rather than forgiving. So praise God and thank you, Adrian, for blessing us with with the message that God has given to you.